training because they thought that they were going to get away with their inflammatory videos but we are standing here today to say enough is enough we will not tolerate their bullying if they believe in the second amendment then it's the second amendment for all people if you get your water cut off here in the city of Benton Harbor the same day you get your water cut off they condemn your house your house can be paid for, but if it's condemned and you have children, they also call in family service, and they come in and take your children. The blood of our people who have died for us to cast a vote. I don't care who you have in that White House. We, the people, we, the people, will, we will stand up. Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. I'm Esther Averam, and today's show is all about confronting attacks on health care, free speech, voting, and on the Second Amendment rights for people of color. And this is the third Friday of the month, so it's time for the F word, our discussion of fascism. This month's guest is the human rights activist, the Reverend Edward Pinckney who was released from prison in June after serving two and a half years on trumped-up charges of changing the dates on a recall petition. To many impartial observers, Pinckney was a political prisoner, and his ordeal is a microcosm of the dangers of neo-fascism in the United States. All that is coming up later in the show, but first our headlines about those speaking truth to power in D.C. this week. Hundreds of protesters descended on Capitol Hill this week, urging senators to not repeal the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare. This was a topsy-turvy week for health care, with Senate Leader Mitch McConnell acknowledging that he does not have the votes to pass either the House or Senate versions of the GOP health care plans, both of which will leave tens of millions of Americans uninsured, with Medicaid gutted and the wealthiest Americans receiving a hefty tax cut. On Thursday, Jason Walker, an organizer with Voices of Community Activists and Leaders, led a group to the office of Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky, where he first spoke to Senate staffers and then led an Occupy-style rally in the hallway. We want to be sure that our senator makes sure that Kentuckians have a health care that is intact and that they can live like other Americans who have wealth and power. So we want to make sure our low-income communities, our communities of color, communities of rural, can, uh, can make sure that they have health care um, just as well as our senator has great health care. Um, so we just wanted to like convey that message and demand that we don't repeal, right? So health care is a human right.
Now, as Republicans have failed in repeated attempts to pass the so-called health care legislation, a poll released Thursday by the Associated Press and the Nork Center for Public Affairs Research indicates that a growing majority of Americans support universal health care. Wednesday of this week also marked the swearing-in ceremony and first meeting of Trump's Presidential Commission on Election Integrity. Trump has actually stated that he established this commission to validate his baseless claim that three to five million Americans voted illegally during the 2016 elections. In response to this first meeting, hundreds of protesters attempted to rally in a traditional protest area in Lafayette Square in front of the White House, but they were ordered to leave the park by police carrying military assault rifles. After protesters moved to a nearby sidewalk, the Reverend Lennox Yearwood of the Hip Hop Caucus addressed the crowd. When I saw the AK-47s coming forth, it harkened me back to what my parents talked about. So for those who aren't people of color, let me just take a few seconds to go down voter suppression memory lane. Make it plain, brother. Make it plain. For those who might not quite understand, may be kind of shocked at what's happening. Those who may kind of understand that I have privilege and I'm an American and we have rights, let me take you down voter suppression memory lane. Make it plain. When there are many of my people, like Mega Evers, yes, sir. who fought in the World War II, mm -hmm. when he came back to Mississippi to vote after fighting for this country, he went to the ballot box and was met with a hundred angry white people who told him he could not vote. But what Mega did is he organized. And then you think he said, well, Mega, you're right. We should not let people vote. They killed Mega in his driveway. When Dr. King didn't speak out just about 60 years ago, give me the ballot. They bombed his house. When Dorothy Height or Mega Evers or all those in the movement came before us. They died for us, particularly young people of color, to vote. Yes, sir. So this is not a game. Right. And many of us are not surprised. But what they need to understand today is that the blood of our people who have died for us to cast a vote. Yes, sir. I don't care who you have in that White House. We, the people, we, the people, will, we will stand up. Someone say, can't stop. Can't stop. Can't stop. Can't stop. Can't stop. Can't stop. Speakers at Wednesday's rally said that the real purpose of the election commission is to justify the creation of more barriers to the vote. The commission includes the serial vote suppressor Chris Kobach, creator of the controversial cross-check system, that has targeted and fraudulently removed millions of people, primarily people of color, from voter rolls across the country. Almost all the states have refused a request from the Trump administration 
for voter rolls, which would include confidential information about each voter, including social security numbers. Also, on the matter of the assault rifles, this is the second time that a heavily armed police detail in D.C. has interfered with Reverend Yearwood's right to protest. As he attempted to enter the National Mall for the March for Science last April, he was detained, harassed, and assaulted by a police officer who eventually let him go. Residents of and visitors to D.C. have become more accustomed to seeing police with these assault rifles, just as have visitors to airports and national monuments. It is this increasingly armed society that was on the minds of many who marched 17 miles last weekend from the Virginia headquarters of the NRA, the National Rifle Association, to the Department of Justice in northwest D.C., The march was in response to the NRA's failure to condemn the police murder of Philando Castile, a licensed gun carrier, and the posting of two recent NRA neo-fascist videos that call for armed conflict against people of color, progressives, and anyone who exercises the First Amendment right to peaceably protest. Civil rights attorney Nakima Levy-Pound spoke for Castile's mother, Valerie Castile, when she addressed the crowd in front of the Department of Justice on Saturday. Much of the rhetoric that comes forward wants us to be divided. They want us to operate out of the spirit of racism and white supremacy from the past that has haunted every single system and institution in this country, including law enforcement. The reality is that it is time for a change, and that change needs to begin to happen now. Because it is not just about us. Those of us standing here in solidarity, it's about our children, our children's children, and their children, and wanting to see a brighter tomorrow for them where we put an end to business as usual. Where we stop allowing police officers to kill people with impunity. That is not acceptable. And they want us to look at the law. I know this as a civil rights attorney and someone who taught law for 14 years. They want us to trust in a broken and flawed system that has proven time and time again that it is ineffective in rendering justice, especially for those on the margins of society and especially for people of color. And like St. Augustine said, an unjust law is no law at all. Yesterday at the rally, I was honored to be able to read a statement on behalf of Ms. Valerie Castile, who is the mother of Philando Castile. Ms. Valerie Castile has exhibited so much strength and grace under pressure. I cannot imagine what her family has gone through in just the last year, being told to wait on the system to deliver justice. And she waited patiently sat through a long trial and realized that at the end of the day that justice was not served. I asked her, was justice served in your son's case? She said, hell no. Hell no. Hell no. And she said that she is very frustrated with groups like the NRA that had a chance a year ago to stand up on behalf of her son, Philando, who was a licensed gun carrier, but instead they chose to remain silent. And the reason they chose to remain silent is because they have shown that they do not value the lives of black 
gun carriers in the same way that they value the lives of white gun carriers. It's very obvious that the NRA needs some anti-racism training. Because they thought that they were going to get away with their inflammatory videos trying to come after Tamika Mallory and other activists, but we are standing here today to say enough is enough. We will not tolerate their bullying. If they believe in the Second Amendment, then it's the Second Amendment for all people, not just the chosen few. So on behalf of Ms. Valerie Castile, she sends her love she said that we have to keep the fight alive. She wants accountability for the officer who killed her son, which in her mind means a federal indictment, because she believes he will also be punished in the next life. And she said we need to continue to march, we need to continue to stand, we need to continue to fight, and we need to continue to seek justice, because enough is enough. 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 Thank you all for being here. God bless you. The slogan for the march from the NRA to the Department of Justice was, We know that we are not safe, but we will not be intimidated into silence. And... Finally, in culture and media, rapper Kendrick Lamar's The Damn Tour is in D.C. tonight, Friday, July 21st. And in theaters, Dunkirk, about the World War II evacuation of Allied troops from the French city of Dunkirk. And put it on your calendars, an inconvenient sequel, Truth to Power, Al Gore's follow-up to his Oscar-winning documentary about climate change, is set to have a limited release in major cities on July 28th and a nationwide release on August 4th. And those are our headlines and happenings. When we come back, were the attacks on black people in Michigan experiments in stripping all Americans of democracy? Stay with us. town graves dug deep water dirty like the police that flood streets blood on the beach sandstorms on the streets a man's form can be transformed with the heat of the moment we think our opponent is overseas but we messing with mother nature's ovaries it's a cruel winter summer don't know itself i say get green but all know as well i know i'm supposed to help that's what i'm made for i'm a made man but i ain't a made though god's gift to this earth that's what she prayed for they've been stable since cain killed abel this is on the ground on the ground show.org voices of resistance from the nation's capital i'm esther Ivarum. 
And for this month's segment of the F Word, we're speaking with the social justice activist, the Reverend Edward Pinckney. Reverend Pinckney was released from prison in June after serving two and a half years on trumped up charges of changing the dates on a recall petition. To many impartial observers, Pinckney was a political prisoner and his ordeal is a microcosm of the dangers of neo-fascism in the United States. Benton Harbor was one of six predominantly African-American communities in Michigan that were stripped of their local autonomy with the appointment of a so-called emergency manager who proceeded to make unilateral decisions, such as in the case of Flint, Michigan, the switching of that city's water source to a polluted river, leading to the lead poisoning of an entire generation. In Benton Harbor, Reverend Pinckney was a leader in the fight against the giveaway of a public park to the Whirlpool Corporation and a development firm which privatized the park and gentrified prime real estate on Lake Michigan into a golf course and wealthy gated community, excluding the people that the property was deeded to serve. He also helped organize a petition to unseat Benton Harbor Mayor James Hightower, who residents considered a yes-man for Whirlpool. Instead of supporting a tax that would make Whirlpool pay its fair share for city services and employees, the mayor signed a $3.2 million loan that the residents of Benton Harbor, one of the poorest cities per capita in the United States, had to pay. It was during this petition campaign that Reverend Pinckney was accused of changing the dates on the petition. Since his release on June 13th, he has renewed his campaign to expose the corporate stranglehold in Benton Harbor. Welcome to On the Ground, Reverend Pinckney. Thank you so much for having me. It is truly, truly a pleasure and uh, and an honor to be on your show. I'm I'm happy today. I'm happy that you took the time out and, and wanted me to be on your show. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's our honor. Well, first, paint a picture for us of Benton Harbor, its relationship to the Whirlpool Corporation, and how the city wound up in the position of emergency management, and also in the position of losing its lakefront public park to Whirlpool and a private developer. The struggle that have taken place in recent years in Benton Harbor is a case in point, one that holds a nimble lesson for the American people. The fight in Benton Harbor is a war. This is no conflict. This is the real deal. It's whether America will have prosperity and democracy or live in poverty under the heels of open corporations. We're fighting a battle here. We're fighting for control of our own city. Let me talk about the emergency manager. It was a ploy. They was experimenting with the people inside Benton Harbor. They figured that the people in Benton Harbor didn't have any fight in them at all. And... They had also destroyed the school system, and for years I have been telling them in order to increase the, the education level of the school, you have to go all the way back to the basis and start with them, but they didn't want that. And when they brought in the emergency manager, he had one thing in mind, that was to take all the land of value away from the residents of Benton Harbor. Matter of fact, we was the very first on a public act four to have an emergency manager. And then, let me tell you how, imp- how important that was. This guy came in like a gangbuster. The first thing he did, the first order was to take the good mayor that we had, the one who was for the people, took his desk and put it straight in the basin. He had one of them nice oak desks and to let them, let them know who's in control of this city. That was a power move. Then he locked the commissioners out. He changed the locks on, on their office doors. 
and it, and told them anytime they want to go into the office, they had to come to his office and get keys to go into their own office. This guy was mm. something else. Then, and these were elected officials. These were elected officials. Matter of fact, his whole his main objective was to fire the mayor because we had built up at that time. We had six votes, and they didn't like that. And that's one of the reasons why they brought in the emergency manager to neutralize us so they can continue building this golf course, this Jack Nicholas signature golf course, and surround it with a gated community and also put several houses on the beach. You know it wasn't for the residents of Benton Harbor. And when you think about the people that live in Benton Harbor, you, you get a whole different idea of what's needed. And, and remember this, you got Whirlpool Corporation. It has over 4,000 employees here in the city of Benton Harbor. And less than a half a percent is residents of Benton Harbor or live in 49022. Oh, you mean uh, 4,000 employees working there, but none living there. None living there. And, right. And if you live, if your zip code is 49022, you, you would never get a job at Whirlpool. And, and <laughs> they, they, they reason it is that the people in Benton Harbor are not educated enough to work for Whirlpool. That's how they look at it. And their thing is to drive the people out of the community. And they're using the court system. Anytime that you can merge with government, it's fascist. And that's what they're doing now. They control not only the, the county commissioners, the St. Joseph City Commissioner, St. Joseph Town Commissioner, Benton Township Commissioners, and now the city of Benton Harbor Commissioners. They, they control them. They control the school board. And anytime you have a corporation that comes in and can do whatever they want in a community, you have a problem. But I know how to fight back. One of the things that I did, which was, well, I shouldn't say I did. Let me apologize. I'm my organization, Banco, the Black Autonomy Network Community Organization. We went after them. We called for an international boycott of all Whirlpool products. And I don't know, I can't tell you how successful it was, but it was successful enough for them, the New York Times and the Washington Post, talking about a hostile takeover of Whirlpool Corporation. And remember this, Fred Upton, the United States rep, been around, maybe been, been a rep for 30 years, is the heir to Whirlpool, you see. And when his dad was in charge, Whirlpool respected black people. Matter of fact, you might hear this somewhere. Back in the 50s, 55, 56, they sent a bus down to Mississippi. And the blacks was picking cotton in the cotton field. And they brought a busload of people from, from Mississippi up to Benton Harbor to work in Whirlpool Factory. You know, that's what I want to ask you about, because I suspect that Whirlpool hasn't always had this kind of predatory relationship to Benton Harbor. So what do you know about the history in terms of of how it's how it's evolved to this point, that relationship? It, it was a change from the from the grandfather to the father. And now Fred Upton is the new heir to Whirlpool. And that's exactly what happened. As it was changing hands, 
uh, they they decided that they was going to go a different route. They was going to make Benton Harbor a playground for the wealthy, and they're doing a pretty good job. Let's put it that, this way: go with that Jack Nicholas signature golf course, and it, it's surrounded by I don't know these these half a million, uh, quarter of a million dollar homes which we know that we're not going to be able to afford them, and they're definitely hidden in that path. And they continually to try to... Because Ben Harbor have less than 10,000 people now inside the city. So are these homes and this whole... Is that already completed? The golf course is, and let's say half of the uh, 150 homes is completed. They just broke ground for 78 new homes. So it is all on prime property, and that's where they're they're at right now. My understanding is that some of this land is used to be where there was a public park. Is is that the case? And do residents not have access to that area anymore? Here's what they did: they done cut the beach up. You got homes on one side, you got the golf course on one side, and you got a a, a very small area where people can go to the beach. So it's divided up into three sections. Two two other sections you can't go on. Uh, and if you go to the beach yourself, you have to pay. Never before in the history of Jean Clark Park have anybody had to pay to enter the beach. Nowhere, no time. So they figure if they charge, they'll get less traffic. And then you won't get, you know, you most likely would not attend. They don't want us anywhere. And so, and so even as a resident of, of Benton Harbor, in terms of being a taxpayer there, I don't have a pass. I don't have a beach pass. I don't have a, a sticker on my car or anything that says that I am able to go in free because I live there. Absolutely not. Matter of fact, uh, they will give you a, a yearly pass. If you buy a yearly pass, you'll get a break. Uh, in case you go there every day, uh, I think it's, it's something like $75 for the whole year for the whole family and stuff like that. You get a break just by being a resident of Benton. Other than that, you have to pay. If you right. don't have a pass, you got to pay. And who's the money going to? That's, that's a question that, that we have tried to fundle, uh, the information from the sources. Some claims it was going to the city of Benton Harbor, but we have discovered that it has been redirected for other use, uh, conservators, uh, one of those uh, conservators, they also have one in New York uh, uh, that comes in and they try to uh, build up certain parks in certain areas. And this is one park they use this money to keep this park clean for the golf course. The golf course is the centerpiece of this whole project. The houses, everything over this way. Matter of fact, they even got a village now. Right on the other side of Main Street is, you know, that's where the nightclubs is for the for the fortunate ones, and they build that up and they use the money to keep that area and clean. Not the city, not the regular city of Benton Harbor, but just that area. So that's where the money is going. We've been trying to figure out how, where, when, what. And here's another thing: even the golf course. Now they have the senior PGA here in in the city of Benton Harbor. And unfortunately, they, we get no revenue from them. They have the senior PGA right here in Benton Harbor, and we get no revenue, not even from, the, from no TV rights, nothing off the tickets, 
Well, you, my touchstone for this F-word segment has remained the statement by 1960s revolutionary George Jackson. And he defined fascism as the complete control of the state by monopoly capital when the relationship between the state and the corporation becomes indiscernible. And reading about your situation in Benton Harbor and what you've gone through personally, that made me feel that that definition really touched on what you have experienced in Benton Harbor. You know, I want you to take your time and, you know, enumerate for us and give us details about how you've seen the state and corporation become indiscernible in Benton Harbor. Absolutely. It started in 2005 when they was first building this Jack Nicholas signature golf course. Whirlpool decided, now listen to me closely, I said Whirlpool, the corporation decided that they were going to take over a certain portion of the city of Benton Harbor. And they need, at that time, the city government was working hand-in-hand against the people to make sure that this happened. Our witnesses, my thing is is court watching. That's what I do. I go over there and, and I try to help people deal with the court system. That's what I do. But they pulled me into this thing with Whirlpool, Whirlpool dominating our city and city government. It also dominated, like I said before, the county government. But unfortunately, it, it was nothing they can do because it was always voted nine, uh, well, 11 to 2. That's how it always came out. Even if they voted for something for Benton Harbor, they would always get voted against because Whirlpool would have someone sitting there to make sure people vote the way they wanted to vote. And these tax breaks is almost ridiculous. So I witnessed what Whirlpool was doing. I witnessed what the city government was doing. I witnessed what the state government was doing. I witnessed what the county government was doing. They was all working together against the people that lived inside the city of Vietnam. Now, I want you to hold your thought, but I just wanted to, to backtrack and ask you one thing. Because most of the material that I've read talked about that t- at that time, Whirlpool was not paying any taxes to Benton Harbor. And is that still the case now? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, no question. And and also, when you talked about those tax breaks, talk about any details about them. Let me say this: they they have not, they have never paid taxes, and probably in the last twenty twenty years or so. I'm going to say that I, I'm going to throw throw that out there because that, that's my belief. And the water bill. Now, here's something that's even more important than the taxes. They don't pay any water bill. If I don't pay my water bill next month, my water get cut off. They have never paid a water bill. And here's another thing for the golf course. It takes a million dollars worth of water to water that golf course. And what they did, they spliced into the Benton Harbor City Water Department. And the only reason we found this out, the pipe busted. So when I, when you think about Whirlpool and paying taxes, and, and, and this is another thing they used to do. They would threaten to move out of the city if, if you keep pressuring me about taxes. My comment was, I will help you move. I will, I will get my people together, and we'll move, and you won't have to pay a dime. All you have to do is pay for the truck and the gas because we'll load it up for you. And, but the commissioners was getting a little twos and fuse underneath the table. They, 
They wanted them to stay, and that's why they always voted in their favor. Well, before you leave the subject of water, though, I, I was reading an interview of the current mayor, and he was basically saying that at some point, Benton Harbor basically, and this was under, you know, uh, management or uh, government officials, they had basically ceded over the water system to Whirlpool. You're absolutely right. Right after the pipe busted, what they did, Whirlpool stopped pumping water out of the Pawpaw River. Whirlpool, remember this, they don't own the Pawpaw River, but they stopped pumping water out of the Pawpaw River for the golf course. And that was a, remember, that was a major violation by law because you have to have a license and everything else to do this stuff. But they was doing it. And remember, what's even more important is that we don't realize what we can do. There's power in numbers, and we have to learn how to stand up. And, and the current mayor, we've been working with him. He, he's almost where we want him to be because we just on Monday voted to have the income tax to come back. And that's one of the reasons why I went to prison for the income tax, because it was crucial that we have revenue coming in. And the reason why Whirlpool is smart enough, they got lawyers and everybody else, they went around trying to devalue the houses in the community to lower the tax base in the city of Benton Harbor. So that way people pay a lower taxes. The, the factories and other things, people that's working, uh, uh, the golf course, Whirlpool themselves, but they don't pay no taxes anyway, so it really didn't value, you know, help them. Atlanta Automotive, different factories that here. And now the tax base is so low that the, the commissioners didn't have no other choice but to put this income tax together, which I said in 2013, you must have an income tax because people, they are not hiring black people from the city of Benton Harbor. Now, when you say an income tax, you don't mean, do you mean on the, what I understand to be a fairly low income population of Benton Harbor or uh, income from corporations and businesses or income from corporations and business? Mm -hmm. If you do not live in the city of Benton Harbor and you work in here, you're going to pay a half a percent. That alone will bring in $3 million every single year. You know, we've had the same issue in D.C., where the Congress, we don't have control over those kind of matters for D.C. And so the Congress, all the people who live, who work in D.C., uh, but live in Maryland and Virginia, my understanding is that they don't pay any income tax. So D.C. doesn't have the luxury of having that like, like every other city does. You know, I lived in New York for a long time. If you work in New York City, you pay taxes to New York City. You know, if you, if you work in Philadelphia, where I grew up, you pay taxes in Philadelphia. So I understand exactly what you're saying. So, so those uh, many thousands of Whirlpool employees who work in uh, Benton Harbor but don't live there and probably drive the roads in Benton Harbor, you know, use the resources in Benton Harbor, just, just through the daily commute, they don't have to pay anything. Absolutely, and, and, and it's shameful and disgraceful, and they're going to circle the wagons themselves, and they're coming just like they came after me. They thought that 
by getting rid of me, it'll kill the income tax, and these guys will never bring it up again. But when I got home, I got home June 13, 2017. On Monday, this past month, we were talking about it. I told them, you have no other choice. There is no other choice. You have no other avenue to bring in revenue to keep this city going. In the wintertime, every other day they shovel snow with the, with the, with the trucks. Any time it's snow, you're supposed to shovel the snow, but they don't have the revenue. So wow. now what we're going to do, we're going to change that. And then we're also going to tax. We get money from the golf course. Now, when you have the senior uh, a PGA here, those TV rights, everybody who come here and, and have a check, they're paying a half a percent of that money to the city of Benton Harbor. And, and can you imagine the revenue from the TV that, that, that they're going to receive? They're guaranteed to have at least $3 million every year. That's guaranteed. And uh, uh, and they don't like it. They don't like it. They think that uh, I'm behind all this stuff. No. You should be behind it. You should be behind it trying to spearhead this thing to make this city work. And that's what they're doing. And here's another thing. They only take care of the part of Main Street that goes towards the golf course, not where the residents live. And to me, that didn't make any sense. And I say, well, one of the things that we got to do is, is make sure that we take care of the, the, the citizens, the residents. I say, well, what we're doing now, we're catering to the corporations. You know, mm-hmm. you can't cater to a corporation. I don't care what it is. They should be catering to you, especially in your city. I want you to hold your thought. We're going to go to a break, and then we're going to get into some more of the issues around what it's like to to live under this type of system in Benton Harbor, where the corporation is basically running the government. We'll be right back after this break. Just for my soul, just for my soul, and I'm tired of crying all night. Just for my soul, Lord, I need Thee, oh, I need Thee to take away this pain and misery. Cause God, I just can't do this by myself. I need a help. This is On the Ground, on the groundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averam, and I'm in conversation with Reverend Edward Pinckney, social activist from Benton Harbor, Michigan. Now, you were just telling me about what it's like to live there now with this 
relationship between the corporation and the state being hand in hand. One of the things that I was really struck by when I was reading about Benton Harbor was the the fact that, and I guess this surrounded the the issue of your petition you were trying to circulate, and and that is the fact that that mayor at that time, I think Mayor Hightower, refused to do the income tax that would require uh, Whirlpool to pay a tax. And and instead created some type of loan that the residents had to pay to raise money that the city needed. <laughs> and so that you had the poor people in the city who can't get a job at this corporation paying. And, and can you imagine how stupid that sounds? You, 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 you get the income that is going to bring in $3 million to $4 million every year. But rather vote that down and then you take out a loan. I think it's a $2 million, $3 million loan. I don't remember exactly what it was. but And say it's better to take the loan out than have these people pay taxes. Do that make any sense to you? Do that make any sense to any of your listeners? Do that make any sense at all? I mean, you know, I actually, now that you, now that, that we're, we're talking about it here on the air, that's why a lot of cities are in the state that they're in because rather than tax the wealthy, rather than raise taxes or tax corporations, which are giving them their political donations, right? They take out these loans or get involved in these other financial schemes and really the taxpayers are left holding the bag. Absolutely. You you know, you, you said the magic word, the taxpayers. See, it's a struggle every single day to survive in Benton Harbor. You know, no jobs. You know, if you're going to have a job, it's going to be a servitude job. They, they tell you right off the bat, you're not educated enough to work at some of these factories even. When you talk about unemployment, over 65%. You talk hmm. about 90% of the people that live here live below the poverty level. And nobody is crying out saying, there's something wrong with this picture. I'm out in the community every single day, and my job is I talk to these people. I talk to the people. I want the people to understand, look, we can do something. It's amazing the way the, the, the people are. Uh, when, when you, you know, if you get your water cut off here in the city of Benton Harbor, the same day you get your water cut off, they condemn your house. Your house can be paid for. But if it's condemned and you have children, they also call them family service. And they come in and take your children. This is no picnic in the park. That's for these people. That's when you don't have revenue and resources to fight back. You don't have, they don't have it. You know, if, if they, they work at McDonald's, they work at Burger King, these are the jobs they have. This is what these people are surviving off of, you know. And because they say this, and when they say this, they mean it. We're going to drive you completely out. And they said, look, they said in the year 2030, it won't be anybody black living in the city of Benton Harbor unless you part of their ship. And uh, this is their word. This is what they're saying. And people are leaving here fast. They, they move into Atlanta, every place, any place they can, Minnesota. Uh, you name it, they're they leaving here. Uh, I told them, I said, I don't have no intention. I'm going to be the last person here, and I'm going to stay here and fight y'all until the end. That's how I look at it, because I know what you're doing is wrong, and I'm mm. going to do whatever I can to make sure. And these, they don't deserve that. These, we got some good people here. We, 
got some real good people here. And, and here, here's another thing. They have six people that end up in the river here, six black people. They end up in the river here. Uh, one guy even had his ponytail cut off and his penis, and they say it was no foul play. And, uh, uh, you know, they, they kill you down here. This is, this is no joke. This is the real deal. When you talk about Barron County, you're talking about something. You, you're not talking about, and it's always justifiable homicide. A guy just got hung in prison. Uh, a guy, a young man just got hung in prison, and uh, they had said that he had hung himself, and they found out that just before he got hung, they had tasered him. And he still had the burnt marks all on his face where they tasered him. So, uh, you know, we're looking at it as murder. So we, we got a lot of stuff going on here, and... My job is to is to make sure that we that they're doing what they're supposed to do because if I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do, they definitely gonna answer. They they definitely gonna tell me that I'm not doing the right thing, and they coming after me. So I got an obligation to the people here uh, in Barron County to stand up for people. I don't care whether they black or white; it don't make no difference to me. How about the actual imprisonment? How has that impacted you? How did it impact you while you were there? It had a tremendous impact on me because when I got there, they, they actually wanted to kill me. They they was doing all kinds. Of, they put me in a location, a control location that was molded. It, it was, uh, and I couldn't breathe. I, I must have lost about 30 pounds. I was weak. I was sick. And I finally got my head together and said, I'm not going to die here. And uh, I, I told God, I said, I'm not going to die in prison. I said, you know, uh, whatever happened, I'm not going to die here. And uh, I started exercising, getting myself back together. You know, my wife and them was sending food in. They was, you know, everybody was sending, like, uh, under different people's names. And it was it was just a tremendous thing. With I had enough food to last me forever. And I, I wasn't going to die. But here, here, here's the thing that, that, that's, that your listeners need to know. I always read my Bible at 6 o'clock in the morning. That's that's my time when I was in prison. I, I would get up because at one time it was the quietest time. But then I ran into these rappers. Oh, every morning, you know, it's it's a whosoever will thing to get whoever gets the TV first. Whoever gets the TV first controls the TV. So I, I, I can't be mad at you if you got the TV first. You know, that's, that's you know, that's, that's part of the requirement. But they would listen to rap music, and they have it blasted, and I'm reading my Bible, and I, I couldn't stop reading my Bible because they listen to rap because that's going to be every day. But one thing happened once that was I was fortunate that one of the guys wanted me to help him with math, and I'm pretty good at math. And um, I taught him. I, I took him all the way back to the basics. I took him back adding, subtracting, multiplying, dividing. Then I showed him how to multiply do his timetables, and divide at the same time. God told him nine times nine is 81. And if you divide nine into 81, you're going to get nine. And he was, I mean, it was, I, I didn't realize, he, he thought it was the greatest thing in the world. So I sat down with him, and I worked with him. I got him all the way up to geometry. I, 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 was, I was taking him up, but during that process, Everybody, different little kids, uh, young guys, shouldn't call them kids, that's not right. But uh, young guys were coming over and wanted me to help them. So I started teaching math. It got up to 16. And you can never 16 people in the class? Right, 16 people in class. You can only have four at a table. It probably would have been more 
but you you know anything more than four is a violation. So we had 16 people, and I would teach them every day. And the good news was I never had to listen to rap music no more in the morning. <laughs> that was the good news. And, and these boys, they saved my life because when these guys, when they were trying to get me, they were trying, you know, I didn't know whether they were going to plant something in the, uh, you know, in my locker or in my in my in my control area, they, they put a knife in there, or they put some drugs in there, or they put something in there that's illegal. I would be home talking to you now. And what these guys, young guys, did, you know, they would they worked as a team, and they would patrol my area, make sure. One day I was passing by the CO, and I looked in his, I saw it in his eyes, and he had his hand on his taser, and I saw. Him. And if I didn't see it, look, you know, I was looking, trying to look dead in his eye. When I saw him, I jumped up to the side to keep him bumping him because if I would have bumped him, that would have gave him permission to taser me. And they have a history in Marquette Prison of tasering people to death. You can look that up on, on, on the Internet. I mean, some of the stuff is on there. But we were, we were one, I mean, it, it was such a tremendous thing because I knew that they was out to get me. And and his and it's his word against my word, I'm gonna lose that one. But here, here's something else that happened. I usually get I, I was getting two visits every week, uh, even up there. Everybody, uh, I had folks coming from everywhere, you know, wanted to visit me, and they did, and and I appreciated that. Doing one of the visits, a guy named David Soul, they, uh, they, they, he, David Soul flew up to to visit me, and he was taking notes on his way out. They asked for his notes, and he told them, you know, you can't have my notes, but they said, we want your notes, and we're going to get them, or we're going to, you know, we're going to keep you here, one or the other. So he gave them his notes and made copies of it. But during that process, they had ordered them to arrest me. I'm in prison already now. They want them to arrest me. They put me in shackles and took me to, to the hole. And, they, you know, that's what they call the hole. I didn't understand why they had taken me to, to the hole. But about 11, 12 o'clock that night, the guy brought the information over to me. He said, well, we're charging you with smuggling. Smuggling? I said, what's smuggling? I don't know how to smuggle. They couldn't spell smuggling. Well, they got you down here for smuggling, and that's what it's going to be. I said, don't nobody. I said, how do you smuggle? And, uh, 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 but during this time, now listen to this. This is the good part. Up, I'm talking about 500 miles from my home. They was picking in the front of Marquette Prison. They was saying, free Reverend Pinkney. The news picked it up. It was all on the news. They blacked out all the TVs after they showed it four or five times. And these guys, they want to know, who is this Pinkney guy? Who is he? They say, he's, he's, he's in the hole now. And uh, he's going to stay there. They, because in the hole, they, they can do what they want with you. They can kill you in the hole. And and nobody would say nothing, but by these people picking in outside, it was another thing. And then all my young boys, remember, I'll tell you, 16 young guys, right? Right. Every, every morning, they would come by and be outside to make sure they knew that, you know, that they, that they were looking for me. And, and that was, a, and then I had my boys from Benton Harbor, because Benton Harbor, you you know, everywhere you go, you got 35, they, they think Benton Harbor is a big city. There's so many guys from Benton Harbor in prison. And it was like a gang, you know, because everybody was, they were so concerned because they knew that they was trying to kill me. And um, 
It was so important. But here's the thing. They opened the cell door and just let me out, they said. Go. Go back to, to your unit. I said, no, not me. I said, you ain't tricking me. That's the first thing I said. You ain't tricking me. Tell me I'm trying to break out or, you know. He said, no, go ahead. I said, nope. I said, you go ahead and call. Call the lieutenant. I made him call the lieutenant. lieutenant. Said, yeah, you go back to your unit, you know, try to talk rough to me. I said, okay, no problem. So I get back to the unit. As soon as I get back, they call it the judge is looking for me. The judge, a judge. There ain't no judge looking for me. Yeah, but the judge in the hearing officer, they, he, you know, they gave him this big title as judge, but he's just a hearing officer. And he, he goes in there, and I, I, I dropped a bomb on him. I told him, I said, you got to dismiss this. He said, why? He said, uh, they said I was smuggling. He said, smuggling? I said, yeah. He said, I said, I don't know how to smuggle. He said, <laughs> I, 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 look, I said, do you know how to smuggle? He got mad then. He said, oh, I don't, I don't, look, I don't worry about no evidence. He, he dropped a bomb. He said, I don't, I don't care nothing about no evidence. It's how I feel. That was the key, though. When he said how I feel, you know, I said, you look like you feel pretty good today. And when I said that, he started smiling. He said, I do feel pretty good today. I said, all right. He said, I'll give you my answer at 430. The 4.30, he came back with not guilty. Because if he would have said guilty, I'd been locked up over there in the whole level five, and I, I would have been there until the day, you know, and, and there ain't no ifs, ands, and buts about it. And then the whole place was like in, in an uproar. They was like, you know, like we had won the championship. Everybody was, everybody in the place was really, really, really happy. So what what is the struggle today, especially with Trump in the White House? How have you seen in the time that you've been out and as you observe while in prison, the impact that this Trump era is having in a place like Benton Harbor, where there was already this cozy relationship, inseparable relationship between government and the corporation. Here's where I believe in represent with Trump. I don't think he's the main issue. I think that it's bigger than him. It's the mm-hmm. same as when Obama was president. It's, it's the same. See, it's the people that's behind these people. This, see, this is what we, we, we're not looking at. Trump is just a distraction. That's all he is to me. He mm-hmm. He's not smart enough to lead me. Let's put it that way. I, I think that we as a people, unification is our number one thing. That's where we should, our level of concentration should be. We should be thinking about unifying. Don't I don't care what he does, but I care more about what you do because if we come together and become a team, we can defeat this whole thing. When I look back at the history of Benton Harbor, there's two things that the original emergency manager was not appointed under Republican, I don't think, right? No, right? Jennifer Granholm started, and then the Republicans supersized it. Right. Actually, most of what happened to you happened when Obama was the president and Eric Holder was the U.S. Attorney General. Absolutely. Now, to to many of us, and and I realize I'm running out of time, I'm going to have to wind this up, but I want to ask you, as an outsider, you know, it looks like Michigan, most especially Michigan's black population, has been used as a giant experiment to see just how far democracy can be destroyed. So 
I, I want to just get your final thoughts on what it takes to fight on the inside of that. And, and then what is the most important thing that those of us looking on can, can take away from what you've experienced in, in terms of, of what we're dealing with in our own communities? Well, one of the things we got to realize who our enemy is. See, a lot of times we stand up, we don't even know who the enemy is. We're so busy, we got so many of us who want to be just like them. They just, they, all they want to do is be accepted by them. They want to be invited to the tea party. They want to be invited uh, to lunch with these people. That's what they want to do. We have to stand together at all costs. And, 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 and remember, this: it's not about you and I. It's about the future of our children. That's what we're protecting right now. And then our children got to make sure they build for the future of their children. Well, on that note, I want to thank the Reverend Edward Pinckney for joining me today for this segment of The F Word. Thank you for having me. It's, it's my pleasure, Esther. And I, I want you to know that uh, any time, any time that you need me to comment, don't you dare hesitate. Okay, and, and if people want to write to you or follow you, I know you do a blog. You, you may also have a podcast. How can people follow you if they want to uh, be in touch with you? They can go to bhbanco, B-H-B-A-N-C-O dot org. Or they can even call me. You can call me at 269-925-0001. Or you can listen to my show every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Blog Talk Radio, Paint Me to Paint Me. Uh, I'm available, you know, to, believe, to, to help anybody who needs help. That's what I do. All right. Thank you again, Reverend Pinkney. And thank you so much. And that will do it for today's show as we fight back against attacks on health care, free speech, voting, and on the Second Amendment rights of people of color like Philando Castile. And we lift up the people of Benton Harbor, Michigan, Flint, Michigan, Ferguson, Missouri, and we don't forget the people of the Congo, Libya, Gaza, or our people right here in Washington, D.C. Thanks again to my guest, the Reverend Edward Pinckney of Benton Harbor, Michigan. More of our interview with the Reverend will be posted as a web exclusive on our website, onthegroundshow.org. The music we played this hour was Trouble in the Water featuring Common, Aaron Fresh, Chocolate, and Lacey Kay, and Healing by Kelly Price. You can reach the show at onthegroundshow.org where you can listen to all of our shows. Please like our Facebook and Twitter pages at On the Ground Show. I'm Esther Averam. Keep raising your voice. Peace. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.